Revelation 12:11 And they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony and they did not love their lives to the death. Welcome to By the Word of Their Testimony and here is your host Etienne McClintock. Dear listener, greetings and a warm welcome. Thank you for joining me on By the Word of Their Testimony. I'm delighted to have your company and I'm also delighted to have the company of Christy Christopher. Now this uh, dear lady has actually shared a testimony with us Previously, more than a year ago, and subsequent to that, we've uh, kept in touch, and I've heard the way that God has been working through her life. Now, for those of you who have not listened to her testimony previously, which is available on demand on our website, she was a lady that suffered from severe depression and anxiety. Uh, She uh, got to the point where she had uh, uh, anxiety just interacting with people, and her depression was so bad that she attempted suicide five times. Now, God has done some remarkable things in her life and also through a very remarkable program, and we are going to talk about that today. So all the way from Fort Worth in Texas via Skype, we have Christy Christopher on the line. Christy, welcome to the program a second time. Hi, thank you so much. I'm so happy to be on this program. Thank you. It's a pleasure. We were just talking a little bit before the program, and I have to say I am amazed at how much God is using something that was a terrible experience, and he's turned it around and made it such a blessing to many other people that you are interacting with. Yes, it's it's really been quite the journey. Um, God's been opening up big doors in, or, in order to share, I call it my testimony, but really it's God's testimony mm. of what he has done in my life and how he's really been faithful and has carried me through some really difficult times. We praise God for that. Now, uh, we should perhaps start just at the very beginning. You were born into a Christian family, is that right? Yes, I was born with a uh, nuclear family with a mom and a dad, and I have a younger brother who's about 11 years younger and was raised as a Christian all my life. Okay, so it's even possible for people who are raised in a Christian family, Christian environment to get into uh, things that cause depression and anxiety. Yes, that's correct. Hmm. Now, we've we've spoken about this before. You can't really particularly put your finger on one specific thing that caused your depression, can you? There hasn't really been anything that I can pinpoint or say that this was the day that, you know, I became severely depressed or there wasn't a um, you know specific reason as to why. It's just it seemed to be kind of like a low lying uh, feeling through a lot of years of my life, mm. uh, from the age of twelve up until the age of thirty six. Um, the last few years, up until thirty six, were probably the most severe. So. Wow. So that's about 24 years that you suffered with depression uh, at different levels, I guess, of it. And it started at the age of 12, you're saying, and then it's just got progressively worse till about the age of 36. That was the worst. 
Right, right. Mm. So it's a, it's a pretty pretty a downward spiral. My own experience with depression as well that I suffered with not quite as long, but for about seven years, um, I just felt that towards the end, there my da- my thoughts were just dark continually. They were evil continually, and uh, there was nothing good in my thinking. And uh, somehow God was able to pull me out of that, just like He has done with you. So let's let's talk a little bit about that. You there's things that you used to do in the past that you no longer participate in. Uh, and these typically are things that we would call secular. Is that right? Yes, yes. Uh, I was heavily involved in the rock music scene. I would attend a lot of rock concerts, and I had a lot of rock music that I would listen to pretty continually. Um, I was involved in drinking and smoking and, um, you know, on a lot of pharmaceutical medications. So there was definitely a lifestyle component. Okay, so you were feeding your mind with uh, rock music. Uh, that obviously has an effect on the mind and the, and the body. And uh, also, I guess a lot of the lyrics there are not really those that would elevate and uplift no. and encourage <laughs> and bring peace to the soul. No, that's correct. Absolutely correct. Yeah, and yeah. these things obviously would have had an effect. And uh, there was also the effect that there was probably a lack of good uh, peer relationships as well. Would that be Would that be correct? Yes, I pretty much um, had to start over with a lot of my friendships, and I lost a lot of friends uh, this through this journey. This is subsequent to your recovery, um, or as part of your recovery process? You're speaking. About? It's yes, like part of like through the recovery process, I should say. So it's it's definitely taken um, you know a new set of people to be around throughout this process of recovery to mm. uh, have a good influence and have positive influences in my life. So that's obviously an important aspect of, of recovery than having good positive relationships with others. Yes, mm. huge. Now you mentioned the age of 12, and obviously in hindsight now you were able to identify that because initially people can sometimes slip into depression and not be aware of it. At what age were you actually diagnosed or you became aware of the fact that, listen, I am suffering with depression? Uh, it's it's difficult to say the exact age, but I want to say it was maybe around the age of 16. Okay. So it was as a teenager uh, that I was first put on my first um, antidepressant drug. So okay. it was as a teenager, it seems. Mm. So they were diagnosing, they, they saw in your behavior things that suggested that you may have depression, took you to the doctor, and then the doctor put you on a drug. That was pretty much the treatment, was it? It, that was essentially the treatment. I'd had some therapy subsequent the medication, but therapies and counseling, counseling, right? As in like counseling sessions and things like that. But the main treatment was um, medications at that time. Okay, and the medications are basically just to treat the symptoms. Would that be correct, or does it actually go beyond that? It for the medication I was on, it was purely an antidepressant just to mask the symptoms. So a lot of the medications say the SSRIs basically block the neurotransmitter of serotonin. So it doesn't make more happy serotonin, which is what causes elevation in moods. It just keeps the serotonin that's circulating in the synapse. So it'll deplete, actually, and it's not a long-term solution. Oh, okay. So would that type of medication then long-term actually have a detrimental effect on your well-being? It definitely can because over time you're going to need higher and higher dosage dosages to achieve the same results. 
And wow. so you reach a, a peak with it. So that's why a lot of the medications get increased over time and while they're switching different ones. And it's it's not a solution long term. Okay. So initially, you get some benefit from the medication when they put you on it at the age of 16? Right, right. And then that's not uh, lasting. So what happens? I guess you go back to the doctor, do you? Uh, it, typically, it's it's a revolving door from what I've seen in my own experience as well, that you will go back to the physician, they'll try something new, and it's a lot of trial and error because mm. each patient will respond differently to certain medications. Okay. So if that doesn't work, then they'll try, you know, drug B and so on and so forth. So it's it's a process trying to find the right fit. Mm. So in the meantime, you're trying to live life the best you can. You're trying to go through school and your studies. Uh, talk us through that. So what happens? Uh, you... You're struggling with relationships. Uh, how's school going for you as far as your, your education is concerned? Uh, my education went okay. It obviously, you know, it could have been better had I made better decisions with the things that I was doing, you know, substance-wise and um, lifestyle-wise. But I was able to actually finish a degree in biology and psychology wow. and then do an associate's in nursing um, but I had actually had a suicide attempt the semester before I graduated nursing. Um, you know, even up until that point, I was struggling. So it was it was a, a definitely an uphill battle, um, mm. something that I was having to live with on a daily basis. So that was kind of the scenario. But it wasn't evident to my knowledge on the outside. A lot of it was behind the scenes. So it was. It felt very lonely, I guess you could say. Sure. So you were going through some difficult times, but outwardly perhaps it would have been harder for people to identify that you were struggling with these things? Right, right. So a lot of people who may be going through this actually are hiding these things from other people. Other people don't know the the difficulty and the the complexity around the whole problem. Yes, that's that's accurate. And I've heard that a lot of times um, with different people that have come forward and said that they've struggled as well, that a lot of people didn't know about it. So it seemed to be very uh, behind the scenes and Mm. isolating. So you're still studying. So there's still a level of achievement, obviously, in your life because you are educating yourself and uh, you've done well in that area. So you you go through this. What do you... How do you cope? What do you reach out to to try and deal with this? I guess, can I use the word pain? Uh-huh. Um, with that time frame, I was self-medicating uh, through social media, through uh, movies, music, any sort of you know diversional activity to try to take my mind away from what was really happening. Okay. And so it was more just distractions. So... I mean, you're reaching out to these other things as a distraction, but do these things in in a way give a sense of relief from the pain? It it was a temporary relief, but whatever it was I was dealing with and the pain that I was facing was still there, and it almost made things worse because then I wasn't dealing with it. I was just kind oh. of avoiding it. Okay, so it just puts the pain on hold. You feel a bit better for a while. But I guess just like some drugs, these things in themselves after a while uh, become less and less effective, although you keep on doing it more and more, I guess. Right, exactly. Mm. Exactly. 
So then from there, you go to, I guess, you, drugs. You're saying that you got into uh, alcohol and smoking, and you were saying even at one stage you got involved in some drugs, some drug taking? Yes. I, I, alcohol seemed to be kind of the go-to thing that I would reach for because it would basically, in my mind, it would turn the thoughts off because then I wouldn't have to think anymore. Mm. And so it it numbed out any pain temporarily because I wasn't, you know, it's a frontal lobe depressant. And so I would just numb that out, but it would not just numb out the negative feelings. It would numb the joy and the positive things as well because it's oh, not really? selective. And so it was not a solution. It was just more like a Band-Aid at the time. Mm, so. Mm. Because, I mean, alcohol obviously affects some people in a variety of ways. Some people are a, like a, a sad drunk and some people are a happy drunk. And you're saying it just took all your emotions down. Yeah, just kind of numbed it out. So. Mm, wow. So you're limping through life. Um, relationships as far as, you know, family are concerned, uh, was that uh, functioning okay at the time? It was pretty – it was disjointed, um, you know, my family had different ways that they would prefer that I'd live my life. And so we would argue over uh, the different decisions that I was making or not making. And um, it, it was definitely, we were, you know, trying to see eye to eye, but I, I was a difficult person <laughs> to try okay. to deal with. Hard and for me so, to think that that would be the case, but you're obviously a different person now. <laughs> <laughs> You can talk to my parents. If you oh, like okay, I'll have a different story. <laughs> okay. But I was definitely, it was, I was not an easy person to live with. I don't know how else to say it. It's just hmm. they, they put up with a lot that was, you know, my attitude and the way that I treated them. And so I, I definitely, I'm not proud of that. Sure. So it did, was Did you have any, any sympathizers at the time? I'm talking about like friends that sort of, you know, would be on your side because, I mean, quite often teenagers and people go through this this difficult time don't they i i did have some friends that you know were you know also doing those sorts of behaviors and and those things that did see things you know the way that i saw them distorted as they were and so they would you know join in but a lot of times they were the ones that were engaging in these behaviors with me okay and so it was you know a false sympathizer in a way hmm. so so uh, you do have some friends, but you also have social anxiety at the same time. So uh, can you sort of explain that a little bit? Uh, one thing that they, you know, can determine with, if you have social anxiety or not and something that they were kind of cued off on when I went through the depression recovery program is any sort of social time. Like say we had group meetings and we had you know, we ate lunch in a cafeteria setting. Uh, I would get my tray, I would eat really quickly, and then I would be out of there, just okay. like beeline out of there. And so um, the physician in the program picked up on those behaviors, and then he looked into that further. So this, was this something that you were aware of, or just that it was just a behavior, and it's not until someone identified and said, this is actually what I'm seeing, that you became aware of it? Uh, I knew in my mind that I was really uncomfortable probably more uncomfortable than other people were in those sorts of settings. Um, so I didn't completely understand it uh, as, you know, I seem to now. So I guess no, 
an answer to the question because I was just more reacting to something that I, I thought in my head. So it was more natural instinct to behave that way. Okay. Um, look, if I'm asking difficult questions, just let me know. I'm just curious. Is it because you felt there was a sense of rejection or you just didn't like people? What was it that made you feel that way? Can you put uh, put uh, an, an, a label on it or explain that? Uh, I was I was terrified. I, I think you hit the nail on the head with that, and that's okay. There's, you know, I'm pretty transparent at this point. But, hmm. um, you know, really, it was I was afraid of being rejected because, you know, I had been bullied somewhat in high school and made fun of, and so I was just afraid that someone would uh, make fun of me or not accept me for who I was, and so I just pretty much isolated and didn't want much to do with many people because mm. I just thought that that's how it would be uh, when I interacted with others. Sure. So. so you you knew there was a level of risk when you interacted with other people because on odd occasions you've had some bad experiences or there was some bullying. So you thought the best way to deal with this is to actually avoid those situations and that will manage the risk. Right. Correct. Wow. Correct. Okay. So you, you're going through life, but you're still studying. You still have your education. You have the odd uh, – well, you have some friends as well, but uh, I guess those are isolated because typically you don't want to hang around too many people. You're definitely not an extrovert. Um, <laughs> That's correct. Yeah. So uh, talk us through that. So what happens is you, you – you, you, we know that you've tried five times to take your life because the pain was so great. Uh, can you perhaps tell us about the first experience? Um, one of the first experiences, uh, I had basically gotten to a point where I just didn't see hope anymore. I didn't see really the point in living life. And um, I had taken some pills and tried to overdose on pills mm. uh, that first time. So, Okay. And you, you obviously survived that. Uh, was there a process by which you survived or just uh, it, it just didn't work? Um, I was hospitalized. It wasn't anything um, to the point where I was like in an intensive care setting, but I did have to take medication for about a week and my labs were drawn for about a week. And then um, I had to get psychiatric treatment and then I was released at that point once they thought I was uh, safe to go home. Right. So it was a process. Okay. How old were you when this when this happened? Um, that time it was, I was maybe 24 Okay, so this is like 12 years into the depression, and it obviously progressively got worse. And the medication from the age of 16 wasn't doing its work. Right, that's correct. Mm. So 24, you're uh, obviously a young lady. Um, you know, you're an adult at this time. After you go through that process with the psychiatric treatments and that, was there a step up? Did you feel a little bit better for a while and you cope with the, uh, with the, 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 the stresses and depression? It, it seemed to elevate a little bit. Um, there definitely was some bright spots. So, you know, it was it kind of waxed and waned. But after the treatment, things did seem to elevate, you know, because I was able to see things from a different perspective and get treatment. So it did seem to, to actually get better mm -hmm. for a little bit there. And so. now, did church or religion have uh, any uh, effects on your life in a positive way at this time? Um, at that time, I I was kind of loosely attending church, so I would go, but I, I think it was more um, head knowledge at that point. Mm. I didn't have a real relationship with the Lord. It wasn't like a personal relationship. It was more just going through the motions and 
you know, going each week because that's what was expected of me in a way. And, uh, but, you know, it took later to develop that, you know, personal relationship with God. Sure. And when you looked at religion or you looked at church, you never thought that that would be a solution to your problems at that point in time. No, (laughs) I was pretty far removed. I, you know, I looked at it more like, you know, and this was my thinking at the time, was it more that it was something that was forced on me uh, growing up. And so it was not something that, you know, I necessarily wanted to do, Mm. if that makes sense. Sure, I understand. So you were, you were reaching out to other things like music and entertainment. So, you know, world entertainment and that, and uh, obviously alcohol as well at the time as a means of coping. But these things right. in themselves also weren't providing any solutions, lasting solutions. Exactly. Mm. Precisely. So it's a difficult position to find yourself in. Yes, <laughs> exactly. It was, yeah, definitely a rock and a hard place. Yeah, so. yeah, between a rock and a hard place. So uh, after that first attempt, uh, there is a little bit of a bright side to it. Uh, you do step up a little bit and bounce back a little bit from that. And then what happens is there's another downward spiral, obviously, because there's a second attempt. Can you tell us about that a little bit? It's um, kind of going through the second attempt again was, I believe it was more medication that time around. And so this time, you know, each subsequent time it was kind of gaining lethality and a, a more effective way to end one's life. And so. Okay, so you're becoming a little uh, bit more sophisticated each, in your approach. Yes, yeah. correct. And at this point, I had more medical knowledge. And so I took a medication that um, would have been more effective. And so I was again hospitalized and had to be in an ICU this time around. And Wow. Um, so that, you came very close to being and, successful at this stage. Uh, it was closer um, at that point. So it, it did gain severity for lack of a better term hmm. each time is this at this stage a a, a cry for help is, is is that what's behind this or is it uh, something a little bit more sinister than that it was more sinister at that time it was not anything that i wanted to survive so it wasn't uh, necessarily a cry for help it was with intent so. okay understand and somehow uh, did your parents find you in the state and then they took you to the hospital how did you end up in hospital um, at that time, it was actually my ex-husband who had um, intervened on this behalf. And so then uh, he'd called my family, and then they came to the hospital at that point. Okay, I understand. There obviously was treatment as well. You were in ICU because it was uh, that severe. Yes, yes. Uh, they were able to actually, you know, treat, and then I was released. And again, it, it seemed to be, you know— it would be, I'd get out and things would be going pretty well. Uh, but I did a lot of self-sabotaging. In my okay, life. what does that mean? And so um, pretty much like things would be going really well. And then I would be scared that things were going well. And really? I would do something to turn the tides in the opposite direction against myself, which makes no sense. No. Um <laughs> but that's but that was one of the behaviors that I identified. You, you, you uh, use the word scared. So is it fear that motivated you to self sabotage? Um, it it may have been, you know, just fear of success, uh, fear of being happy, which sounds, you know, kind of out there now that I'm talking about it. But at the time, I was really fearful that you know the other shoe was going to drop. You know, for for you know, just a cliche saying mm-hmm. or. 
thinking that it wasn't going to last. And so I didn't want to be happy at that point. Yeah, so you you were you, you wanted happiness. The problem is you didn't think it would be lasting and there was a risk in being happy because it may fail you. Exactly, exactly. That's You just said it. I couldn't have said it better myself. That's exactly okay. where I was at. It's very complex. Uh, having been there myself, I could sort of maybe relate a little bit to what you, you're talking to. Okay, so that was the second time, but it doesn't just stay at a second time. It's a third time, and you're becoming a little bit more sophisticated every time in your attempts to uh, to make sure that you're more successful in, in taking your own life. Can you talk us through that, uh, moving into the third time it happened? Um, the, I know there's one time it's a little unclear, but the last two were probably the most lethal attempts. Okay. Um, so the fourth one... Um, I actually had been sober for about six years, and I was really excited about that. And um, I fell off the wagon, is what they call it, with um, you know when you're in AA or other 12-step programs. Yes. And I took, um, I had a bottle of tequila, and I drank it all on my own at my house. And then I had a gun living in Texas, and. I went out into my backyard as to not make a mess, and I pulled the trigger and the gun jammed. Wow, so it was loaded um, and it just didn't work. It was loaded and it did not work. Okay, so you you had not been drinking for six years, so there'd been some success in regards to the alcohol abuse, I guess. Yes, yes. Um, I'd been successful with treatment and had, you know, really. Did you go through the AA program? I did. I did the whole 90 and 90 and I was actually, you know, randomly drug screened throughout a period of time. It was like three years that they could test my urine for any sort of substance. So it was pretty maintained um, Mm -hmm. throughout that time. So. Okay. So, I mean, if your loved ones are looking at you at this time, they think, okay, well, she's doing very well. She's recovering. And they had some hope, I guess, and, and a sense of positivity about what you were doing in your life at that time. Right, right. So okay. it, it kind of came out of left field a little bit. Yeah. And you, so, is there anything in particular that triggered it that you can talk about? Or is just you never fully recovered and they just had a, re, uh, a setback? Uh, at that time in my life, I was going through a divorce. Mm. And so there was some relationship tensions and some different things. And um, I was just at a, a dark spot in my life again I just didn't see any hope I didn't see any purpose or meaning and I just didn't see it getting any better anytime soon and so I thought that was the way to solve it wow okay well listen we're just going to take a break here so dear listener stay tuned we are talking to Christy Christopher about her experience suffering from depression and anxiety we've looked at some of the dark aspects of her life now but we are going to start transitioning into the solution behind it all so we'll just take a short break and we'll be right back with you after this message stay tuned in the parable of the tenants the tenants took the owner's son threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. That is exactly what happened to Jesus. But not before he asked them, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? They said, he will bring those wretches to a wretched end. Matthew 21, 40 and 41. This scenario of the second coming is portrayed again, not only by those who pronounce sentence upon themselves as they had just done, before Jesus was crucified, but by John in the book of Revelation. 
Look, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all the peoples of the earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. Amen. Revelation 1 verse 7. Dear listener, thank you for staying with us on the program. My special guest via Skype from Fort Worth in Texas is Christy Christopher. It's the second time we're speaking to her, and she's just giving us a little bit more detail about her life and her struggle with anxiety and depression. A lady that attempted suicide five times and every time became a little bit more successful, last time ending in an uh, ICU, and then a time after that obviously trying to uh, kill herself through a uh, firearm which uh, actually uh, misfired. It, it just didn't work. Now, there's one more left, Christy. So can you tell us a little bit about the experience leading up to your fifth attempt on your life and then what subsequent happened to that? Because the steps that it took as a result of that then has caused you to actually uh, be able to step away and uh, recover from your depression and anxiety. Right, right. Uh, Sure, I'd be happy to share. So the fifth time, um, I'd actually been in like an intensive outpatient treatment um, program to uh, deal with these different things. And I'd met someone in the program who I thought was a friend. And he was suggesting to get a hold of a fentanyl patch. And so he proceeded to cut it up and put it under his tongue. And he went into... A fentanyl patch is something you, you stick onto your body. Right, and right. And what's it's, that supposed to it's, do? It's meant for pain relief. It's a very high, um, I don't know, for lack of a better term, it's just, it's just a very high-strength medication or okay. strong sure. medication for pain. Mm. And it's meant to actually be released over a period of about three to four days. Topically and applied, so he, obviously, to the skin. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah. And so he cut it up and put it under his tongue. Wow. And so he got a super mega dose. And um, he went into respiratory distress in my car. And given my ICU nurse background, I was able to kind of run a code, so to speak, and call DMS. They came and stabilized him. He never had to have a breathing tube or anything like that. And he ultimately survived. Uh, but it gave me the idea. Mm. And so I put a tracker thing on my phone to where it wasn't traceable and rented a hotel about an hour outside of my hometown. Well, okay, so you put some thought into this. Yes, yes. And um, went ahead and packed bag and went to the hotel. I did the same thing. Uh, I woke up three days later. My family was prepared to, uh, they hired a detective and they thought that I was dead. They were proceeding to actually reallocate my belongings at that point. Uh, But three days later, I woke up on the same side. I wasn't able to feel my left side. Mm. And uh, in the ICU, we turn our patients every two hours to maintain circulation. So it was scary. Um, I called my dad. He came and picked me up. And then they took me to another psychiatric hospital at that point. Wow. Okay, so in the psychiatric hospital, they give you the same kind of treatment again? They did. It was, uh, you know, the same type of antidepressants, and the they had actually stopped my benzodiazepines, which would be like your Ativan and, um, you know, Xanax, those type of medications, and just stopped it cold turkey without any sort of wean. That's high risk, yeah. isn't it? It can cause seizures and all sorts of other things. It's it 
can be a medical emergency when that's done. So, it so was obviously not, done under um, medical supervision, but a very difficult time for you to go through. Precisely, precisely. So it was it was a challenging time. Okay, so this is not the first time you're in this uh, in find yourself in this situation with the same level of treatment, and your parents are now thinking, what else is available? What else will work? Because what we've tried previously, we're trying again, and it's not working. So what happens? At that point, my mom was doing some heavy research online trying to find alternative uh, depression treatments, and she had a family friend that had heard of Dr. Nedley's program in California, and it's a lifestyle program, and she had had success with it. And so um, her friend who works at the conference actually had heard of Dr. Nedley and was going to be at a conference that he was going to be speaking at in Houston. And my mom was heavily impressed to text her friend the day before Dr. Nedley was supposed to even be there speaking. Uh, And so she listened to the Holy Spirit's leading. And her friend Lynette says, you'll never guess who's standing right in front of me, but Dr. Nedley. And Dr. Nedley wasn't even supposed to be in Houston. He wasn't even sure why he was there. (laughs) He tells this later. And um, she's able to talk to Dr. Nedley directly and see mm. if they have a spot in their next program, which happened to be August 2016. And he said, we'll go ahead and, you know, we'll make a spot for her. We'll try to get her in the program. And so he was very accommodating and assuring that, that he would be able to help me. Wow. So this is now where Dr. Nedley's uh, testimony intersects with yours in regards to being in a place he didn't even know why he was there, but God was actually providentially Organizing, exactly. orchestrating this whole thing for the sake of a precious soul, namely you, who you needed to save. Yes, that's right. Wow, that is remarkable. And this will become more evident as we start sharing the story now. So, okay, you pack your bags and you go to this depression recovery program. Uh, looking forward to it with uh, great anticipation? <laughs> it's something. You could say something like that. Um, Perhaps not. The way my mom <laughs> <laughs> the way my mom had termed it, she's like, you're going to go to California. It's going to be like a, a vacation. You can hang out by the pool. And I'm like, okay, sure, sign me up. And I'd Okay, so you think you're going like to a resort. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And it was more like a mental health boot camp. Oh, <laughs> okay. A little bit different to what it was sold to you as. A lot different, a lot different. So um, that was kind of how it was was pitched in a way. but. Mm. Okay, you show up there, and uh, you're a. Uh, when you realise it's not a resort, a camp as such, is you're not going to just laze by the pool and and sip uh, virgin <laughs> margaritas. You're um, <laughs> you've actually got to get involved in the program. How do you find it? How do you feel about it all? Oh boy, um, you know I'd had struggles growing up with church in general, and I was just like, where am I? Like, I need to get out of here. I'm like, my main thing was theme was just, I don't fit in here. I'm like talking to, you know, different people in the program and I'm talking about needing a cigarette. And, uh, my therapist at the time was called into my room and, you know, she's like, we'll go ahead and have a cigarette. We won't tell Dr. Nedley if that's going to keep you here. And she later tells Dr. Nedley this, but, um, you know, I was very resistant. I didn't want to be there. I did not want to be involved in many things. Um, I tried to leave five times throughout the program. Wow. 
Uh, number five creeps up a few times and, in your story, doesn't yes. it? Yes, <laughs> <laughs> seemed to be a theme. <laughs> so, wow. so I did try to leave leave multiple times. I was mm. not engaged for the first part of it, for sure. Now, just sorry, just stepping back. Obviously, knowing the story, you're in the program that's going to make a dramatic change to your life and bring joy and happiness and purpose to your life, which you don't have at the moment. But everything you see in this program is totally unattractive, and you don't really want anything to do with it. Right, right. Yeah, it's. I was pretty resistant, and a lot of time, you know, I have the opportunity to actually work in the program now by God's grace yes. as Dr. Nudley's nurse. And so, when I tell this story to the people coming through, um, you know, one of the the things that I like to to let them know is that it's not the program that works; it's working the program. So the more okay. that they're engaged from the outset, the more it's going to do them benefit in mm. the long run. So okay, so basically what you're saying to me is uh, engagement in the programs is vitally important to the success, and you were totally disengaged to start off with. Yes, precisely. So it, it was definitely um, – mm. I was fighting myself, really trying to run from you know my own thoughts and different things like that, and, and I don't know where I thought I was going to go. Um, it was irrational. Sure. Uh, I even tried to call a cab and tried to go to another hotel there in Colfax. And Dr. Nedley had to catch me on the stairs with my bag going down. I even threatened legal action at that point. Mm. And so he had to notify my family as a, he's a medical doctor of a change in condition. Yes. And like they would in a hospital setting. Mm. Because your life is still under threat basically at this point in time, isn't it? Because, I mean, you've attempted suicide right. five times. If I let you go now, there's nothing to suggest right. that you won't attempt a sixth time and be successful. That's, that's absolutely right. And so he said, you know, the only other option is to send you to Sacramento Psychiatric Institute, and they're right. going to put you on the same medications and treatments. And I say to him, well, at least I'll fit in there. And so that's where my mindset was at. So mm. he was prepared to actually send me there because they didn't have the staff to, you know, watch me that closely. And so he called my parents and basically let them know what was going on. And they said, no, you do everything you can do to keep her there. And it's really to their um, their honor that I was able to even stay there because they could have just given up and said, take her to Sacramento Psych. But they were willing to do whatever it took to help me get mm. the treatment I needed. So I owe my parents so much. But obviously God is is working through this whole process. And your mum and your family must have been praying. And through the leading of his spirit, they were able to make the right decisions at that time. And especially in hindsight right. now, it's very clear. But at the time, obviously, it wouldn't have been very clear to you. <laughs> well, your parents are wondering, right. how is this going to turn out? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So they actually entered, they told me this later, but they actually entered a season of prayer and um, surrendered it to the Lord wow. at that point. And we're, I was prayed over heavily by a lot of friends and family. Mm, so. Praise God for faithful friends and family that are praying for, for you. But Amen. you start noticing that there's not only the, the people who are dearest and closest to you, like, you know, blood relatives and close friends but there's other people who you've just met who are also very concerned about you and you have an experience with a particular lady can you share that with us uh yes there was a lady by the name of dr christina harris who has actually gone through the program as a participant herself mm. and uh, one of the only numbers i had was for a lady named leanne who did the intake with uh, depression recovery so i had texted leanne and i was like i want out of here i don't fit in 
So her first inclination was to call Christina Harris, who that was one of her distortions or her ways of thinking that she didn't fit in. Right. And so she sent her into my room and uh, I was talking to her and wanting to pack and leave. And she started crying on my bed uh, in empathy for what I was going through and what wow. I was saying and feeling. And she didn't even know me. Mm. And my first thought was, what's wrong with her? Like, why she doesn't even know what's happening? Why does she even care about me? Uh, but she cared enough to, you know, cry over the whole situation. Wow. And uh, did you think there'd be someone who doesn't really know you that well that could actually care that much about you? I, I hadn't had that experience before. So no, it was foreign, definitely a foreign experience mm. to have that happen. So you thought it was just odd and strange that someone would cry like that? Mm. Yes, yes. I didn't really understand um, what was happening. Mm. But uh, later on, like, there was a point in time where Dr. Nudley was going to have to send me to Sacramento just due to what I was saying and their staff and her and the nurse for the program, Priscilla was her name at the time, took shifts sleeping outside my door. Wow. And uh, I didn't know this till later. And so that's how much they showed agape Romans 5 5 love. Yeah, now agape love is self sacrificing love. Uh, in the English Bible, quite often the word love is just translated from three different words. It could be storge, which is family love, and then there's uh, philos, which is like love amongst peers or brotherly love. But then there's a love that is demonstrated over and above that, which we by nature don't have. We have the other two, but we don't have this one. It's agape love, which is demonstrated by the cross of Christ, that self sacrificing love that they would love someone else even more than your own life. And this is what these people were doing. They were making sacrifices for someone that they had just met for the sake of their health and well-being because of that love that God had implanted in their hearts. What a testimony to uh, to the program and uh, the, the people, the staff of the program. Yes, absolutely. Mm. It's just uh, I hadn't seen the love of Jesus uh, that way. Uh, they literally loved me back to life. Um, that's the only way I can to, mm. think to say that. Now, quite often, the, the only Jesus people will ever meet is the Jesus in us through the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit working through us. Um, Paul talks about it in uh, Philippians chapter 3, verse 10, where he says that we may know him. That's know Christ. The word know there is gnosko in the Greek, but it's the same as yada in the Hebrew. And that's an intimate knowledge, intimate relationship. It's like the relationship between a husband and a wife. But even more than that, it says that we may know him and the power of his resurrection. So that's the power that gives life and the fellowship of his sufferings. Now, that word sufferings there actually goes beyond just physical pain. It talks about entering into other people's pain and, and loving them so much that you are concerned. You, you, you have the pain in your heart for this person. And you just explained to us what that actually looks like when these people would sleep outside your bedroom to make sure, okay, and a lady would come and sit on the bed with you and talk to you and enter into that pain and concern and regard for you. Uh, that she actually ended up shedding some tears over you. Now, subsequent to that, something happens and your life starts changing because, I mean, you you sound like a very difficult patient. I mean, you're a, you're a <laughs> nurse by, by, by trade and uh, you probably wouldn't like yourself as a patient. No, it would have. No, you're absolutely right. That would have not been a good scenario. <laughs> yeah. Yes, that's true. Okay, so let's let's transgress for this. Tell us a story so we can get to the positive outcome because obviously there's a wonderful <laughs> outcome in all of this. 
so you know life goes on and it's it's a 20 week program so it's 20 you know, week it's, okay it's a 20 it's not it's a 10 day residential program but the program continues out 20 weeks after okay. so they prepare each participant with what they call reentry uh, back into their home environment and whatnot so I mean it was you know there's definitely some ups and downs but hmm. the difference this time around that I'd had friends and family tell me, was that I would fall down, but I would get up again. I wouldn't stay down. Okay, so there were there were some falls, but uh, you somehow gained courage to step up again. You know, Proverbs twenty four sixteen says, "For a just man falls seven times, and he rises up again seven times." So you were falling, but you were still rising every time, and then finally there was yes. some success where you no longer fell. Right, right, and then it it really. Um, my my life, I can't see outside myself. So a lot of these are things that other people have said, okay. and you know, I feel it inside, a joy as well. Sure. But it's it's definitely a, just a different mindset. Uh, there's so much to be thankful for. Uh, I keep a gratitude journal daily, and so being able to reflect back and see all the positives of the day. I mean, it's just pages, pages of good things mm. that, you know, it's just to keep the mind of thinking on whatever is pure, whatever is noble, whatever is, you know, good intent, just to keep your mind really in that Philippians mindset Yes, uh, really makes a difference um, to train the brain that way. Uh, we had spoken earlier, but it's a lot to do with the neuroplasticity component of things okay. and how basically the brain can change and it's kind of like a silly putty and it can be trained to think in different ways. And if you train yourself, it's kind of like writing with your left hand mm. it feel or whatever your non-dominant hand is. It doesn't feel right at first, sure. but once you keep doing it and it starts to become a habit, then it clicks one day and you don't have to struggle with it. It's just second nature and it's harder to go back. And so there's some really, really good research that's being done with neuroplasticity and the way that it can change. And that it doesn't have to just, you know, be a young child that's brains can change. It can. I've seen positive outcomes in these programs all the way up to the age of 90. Wow. So it's, it can work for anyone. Yeah. No, uh, if they're, you know, willing to put the work into it. So mm. it's. It's, uh, you know, life is good. I'm able to go about five to six times a year to California to work in the program with Dr. Nedley. And, you know, I get to meet people from all over the world that have positive outcomes. And I get to give back what was so freely given. Mm. And it's it doesn't it doesn't feel like work to me. It's it's my passion. It is yes. truly my passion. And God has turned my depression into something to be grateful for. And wow. I, I praise God every day for the, his mercy. It, mm. It's by his grace alone that I am alive today. It's only God that can take something that's really negative and actually turn it into a positive. And that's that's your testimony. Amen. That's what's happened in Glory your life. God. Yeah, yes, no, that's no, right. Praise God. So the Bible tells us it's more blessed to give than to receive. But obviously God has given to you. And now with sharing what he's given to you, you're able to help other people. Um Consider where you've come from and just maybe talk to us about what your life was like before this and now what it's like after. Because I can hear in your voice and also in your enthusiasm that your life is totally different to what it was before. That's correct. Um, before, I'd like to kind of liken it just to surviving, mm. I guess you could say. It was just, I was really just trying to get through day by day and, you know, I didn't really have a a long-term plan, so to speak, but 
but now, you know, it's, it's a daily walk still. Um, you know, I, I have a routine with things that, you know, I'm able to maintain, you know, that I've learned in the program and, uh, you know, I'm able to minister in my workplace. Uh, I work in a cardiovascular ICU unit, so we see a lot of open heart surgeries and things like that. And there's a lot of depression in the hospital setting even. And my coworkers, I've been able to share different elements of the program with them, uh, with family, with friends, with the church community, uh, pretty much anyone who will listen. <laughs> okay. I like to talk about I like to talk about what God's done. Praise God! And, uh, yeah. Different ways that they can apply it in their life. So mm. now we we need each other as human beings. Absolutely, yes, we do. God has made us social beings, and that interaction is important, even for people who are less social. You know, I'm I can visit comfortably with extroverts, but I'm a little bit more of an introvert. I mean, I know some people are more uh-huh. introverted than I am, but I also know that I benefit from positive relationships. Um, obviously, relationship with God is critical. It's the most important. And then subsequent right. to that, you know, love for our neighbors, the second great commandment, that's very, very important as well. But it sounds like, I mean, you're still doing things just to make sure that there's some practical steps that you're referring to that you can do just to make sure you stay on the right side of it all, hmm. and, yeah. which is your morning program. Right. It's devotional is a big part of it. So to start the day with uh, prayer and a devotional life, that's been a big game changer. Mm. And to have that personal relationship with the Lord where he's a very relational God, I've come to find. Mm. And he wants that time with us. And so the creator of the universe wants time with us. And it just it's it's pretty it's pretty interesting um, to to know that God hears our prayers. It's not a, not a question anymore. Uh, to know that He wants what's best for us. Uh, to know Jeremiah twenty nine eleven is true for each one of us. That He has a hope and a plan and a future for us mm. is so encouraging. And to know that it's true. He is not like a man. He cannot lie. His word does not return unto Him void to accomplish that which He set it out to do. Yes. And I firmly believe His promises. They've come true in my life and they continue. I continue to claim them. Mm. And it's not just me. It's for each one of us. And so that is, is just such good news. That, that is great news. You've gone from surviving to thriving. I can just tell that uh, every now and then you'll send me like a, just a WhatsApp message, which is an encouragement to me as well. So I can see how what you're gaining courage from and encouragement you are actually able to share with other people. So I want to thank you for that. And no doubt I'm not the only person that's a recipient of this blessing that God has placed in your life. Amen. Amen. Mm. Well, thank you. Thank you. You know, uh, the first king of Israel was appointed uh, after they rejected God, but God still gave them what they wanted. And they, uh, God said, well, I'll, you can have a king. I'll uh, select him. And he selected a man who was a humble man at the time. Unfortunately, didn't stay humble. King Saul uh-huh. stood head and shoulders amongst the people. And then the prophet Samuel, God speaks through the prophet Samuel to him and because he, he feels he's not capable of, of change in his life. He's, he feels that he's inadequate for the task that lies ahead. He can't be a king. But then uh, uh, Samuel says to him in 1 Samuel chapter 10 and verse 6, it says, Then the Spirit of the Lord will come upon you and you will prophesy with them and be turned into another man. Uh, some translations say an entirely different person. And then in verse 9 it says that you know, as he turned his back on Samuel to walk away, God gave him another heart. So God is able to give his through his Holy Spirit, give us a new heart, new motives, new perspectives, new loves. 
and we can be entirely different people. And uh, Christy, you have just been telling us what God has been able to do. There's been some practical things, but there's definitely a big, strong spiritual component to the transformation that has taken place in your life. That's right. I was baptized uh, in Weimar, and that was also a big part of the testimony. So I rededicated my life to God. Praise. And that definitely changed a lot in a positive direction Praise from that God. point on. Now, I know from yes. your previous testimony that the, you were baptized previously as well. What was different yes. between the first and the second baptism? Um, the second time, it was something that uh, was more spirit-led, and it was something that I wanted to just rededicate my life. The first time, I was younger, and it was something that some of the other kids in my class were doing, and it was... Uh, more just something that, you know, the other kids were doing, so to speak. But this time it was an actual choice to right. dedicate so my life to It was to not him. so much more going with the flow and the friends and the peer pressure. Um, right. It was actually more about the personal relationship and reconnection with God through that. Knowing God, you know, we right. spoke about that, no gnosko in the Greek or yada in the Hebrew, that personal intimate relationship with God. And I think you brought it out before. God wants our affection. He wants our love. He wants that relationship with us. That's right. That's right. Well, dear listener, you've been listening to the testimony of Christy Christopher, a lady who had suffered from severe depression and anxiety. It was so bad that she attempted to take her life five times. And God has remarkably turned this life, which could have been snuffed out if she had been successful, and he did turn it into such a blessing where there is such a vibrancy of life in herself and her ability to share with others this terrible experience which God has turned into a blessing that many lives have been impacted by it. And I know you've been possibly impacted by it as well. So we're just going to take a break, share our contact details with you. And if you have any questions about this or you want to know more about the program she's been talking about, the Neil Nedley Depression Recovery. Is it Depression and Anxiety Recovery Program? Christy? Uh-huh. Neil Nedley Depression and Anxiety Recovery Program. Thank you. That's the right word. You can contact us here because there are many programs that are run around the world, including here in Australia. Matter of fact, I have some contacts with people here in Australia that are planning on running a program in the next six weeks This on the central coast here of New South Wales, and that won't be the only program they'll be running. So there are programs right around the country here in Australia, in New Zealand, in the U.S. and other parts of the world. So contact us, and we will be able to see if we can get you in touch with the program. And uh, you will be able to benefit from it well, especially if you're a person that is struggling with depression and anxiety or you know someone, a friend or a family member that is struggling with it as well. So stay tuned for these contact details. We'll be right back after this. Thank you for joining us on By the Word of Their Testimony. If you would like more information about today's program or if you have any questions, please contact 3ABN Australia Radio by phoning 024973. 3456 or you can send an email to radio at 3abnaustralia.org.au You can also contact us on our 3ABN Australia Radio Facebook page. We look forward to hearing from you. Dear listener, thank you for taking uh, note of those contact details and we are wrapping up our interview with Christy Christopher. She's been sharing her life experience and journey and what God has done in her life and also how the depression recovery program by Dr. Neil Ledley has had a dramatic impact on her life where she's now actually working uh, with Dr. Neil Ledley on a regular basis. So Christy, just in closing, any thoughts, any encouragement, any remarks, anything sitting in your mind at the moment you'd like to share with our audience? Uh, A couple things that come to mind that just don't ever give up. Mm. There is hope. 
uh, through this story. I hope you've gained some hope. And it's basically Jeremiah 29, 11, that God has a hope and a future for each person. And it's not just me. I've seen thousands of people helped by this program. And I know that he has a plan for each person. And just there is hope and there's hope available. And as we spoke of before in John 10, 10, that he desires to give us life and give us life more abundantly. Mm. So you don't have to settle for just surviving. He wants us to have abundant life and he will give us more than we can even think and ask for as Ephesians three twenty points out. That is right. Yeah. Above what we can even think. So even our wildest thoughts and ideas of how good it can be, God can even do more than that for us. Thank you so much for those encouraging words, Christy. We pray that God will continue to bless you as you minister to those in need and also share the positive experiences that God has uh, given you. Because I think it's through your testimony that quite often people will start noticing, but listen, this person has gone through exactly what I've gone through, or even more so, and God has done a change in their life. Maybe this will work for me as well. And that's where hope starts waking up in, in the psyche of the person and God starts taking on that beautiful journey to recovery. And ultimately, our full and complete uh, recovery will be when Jesus comes and when he takes his mortal body, body and gives us immortality. Amen. So, dear listener, thank you for joining us today on the program. We are pleased that you were able to join us, and we look forward to catching up with you next time. Until then, God be with you. You've been listening to a production of 3ABN Australia Radio.